It all started with midlife crisis. Going into my late 30s, I had worked as a professor of philosophy and theology at Carroll College for some five, six years. I'd finally begun to establish my classes, and my wife and I were developing the chops to lead a good family life. My lovely lady. She had given birth to two beautiful, albeit maladjusted, children. Both characteristics, which, by the way, they get from their mother. And obligatory as it is to make the joke, during my wife's third pregnancy, I may have gained a sympathy weight right alongside her. Likely on account of my older two children's maladjustment. And I'm saying, I got fat, my friends. And <laughs> primarily, right around my liver. Lest I go the route of much of the rest of my family and to an early grave, I needed to do something about this situation rather quickly. So, rather than grow a thick mustache, a mullet, and buy a Corvette to cover over all my insecurities like I would do with the traditional midlife crisis, I decided instead to take up a health-giving sport, powerlifting. And if you're a powerlifter, you'll get that joke. Turns out, I was decent at this new sport, lifting more weight in a matter of three to four months than many people lift over the course of a lifetime. So, for a couple of years, I did a powerlifting meet, and by golly, I won my division. So, I set my sights higher. And I decided to go after the state of Montana powerlifting records, which seemed they were within two years of striking distance. So, I got to training, and the training went well, until it didn't. It didn't when my second son and third child was joyfully born to us. The stress, the lack of sleep, the change of routine had absolutely plummeted my testosterone levels. Enough so, actually, that my doctor wanted me to consider going on testosterone replacement therapy. I was suspect. I didn't want to give up on those state of Montana powerlifting records, and they would test for exogenous steroids. Nonetheless, I acquiesced, and thank God I did. Because as we did the background work necessary to determine whether I would be a good candidate for testosterone replacement therapy, my doctors discovered something in me, something quite astounding. At the ripe old age of 40, they found in me an aggressive prostate cancer that would take my life within 10 years. To add a cherry on top, my treatment plan, which mostly, uh, which mostly was constituted by streaming the primordial rays of the cosmos in and through my prostate in the form of radiation, also included androgen deprivation therapy. Now, my doctors were not only going to not give me testosterone, they were going to take every bit of it away. And with this critical hormones loss, I would have to give up on some substantive personal strength goals for the sake of life and family well worth the trade because you see you just don't get as strong without testosterone which is why so many athletes seek it exogenously in the first place strength a rodent physical definition of strength comes rather easily as the strength coach mark ripto uh curmudgeonly Hilarious and probably nihilistic strength coach, by the way, 
He states, it is the exertion of force against an external resistance. It represents the capacity of the biological creature to flourish in the world, abiding by the principle of eat or be eaten, the strong creature obviously eating the weaker creature. This is a pretty basic physical definition, and it doesn't go far enough because we also need to bring in a moral and an intellectual component. So if physical strength is the exertion of force against an external resistance, I would add, for the sake of the one who is exerting that force. And now we have both an intellectual and moral component attached, and we can retranslate the definition of strength to the capacity to manipulate the world around you for the sake of your needs and purposes. This can be physical, can also be mental. Let me give you an example. I teach college, and I like to joke with my students that in college they spend 90% of their life having a crush on someone who does not have a crush on them back. <laughs> in that situation, they have one of two potential options. One, they can look at the cues, the ghosted texts, the lack of returned calls, and the act of avoidance in the lunch line and say, hmm, you know, she's just not that into me, man. Or they can go a different route and look at those very same cues and say, oh, you know what? She's just playing hard to get. <laughs> of course, the first one makes you into a reject, which is no fun at all. The second one, well, makes you into a creeper. <laughs> Here's why that matters. We have a certain love of strength in this world, which makes sense. Again, quoting Mark Ripito, the strong man is harder to kill than the weak man and more useful in general. Touche, Ripito. Heck. Even take those who are most liable to critique the notion of strength. Say those who are involved in the de jure critique of things like toxic masculinity. Well, they do so from the standpoint of strength, imbibing deeply of the very same strength that they claim to critique. Or how about this one? The cultural image of the doormat. The doormat is the one who is walked upon, who has no strength to stop him or herself from being walked upon. We do not admire the doormat, do we? With this general attitude towards strength, then, we run into a temptation. We are tempted to say that it's the reject who is the strong one. And I think that's a decidedly secondary interpretation of the notion of strength. It's not the reject, but it's the creeper who is strong, because it's the creeper who exerts now a force against a mental phenomenon outside of themselves, abiding in that brute notion of strength that we were talking about above. I think Christ will have something to say about that. A few weeks after my diagnosis, the reality of my situation began to set in. Prostate cancer is thankfully very survivable. We had caught mine early was nonetheless one of an intermediate negative variety. I was only 40, man. Not merely an anxiety, but a despair began to take me over. Looking at the nothingness of death and toward the beauty of my family, 
I was stunned into a dark silence. First time this mouth has stayed closed in a long while. For around a week, see more like 40 days and 40 nights, I stood alone in a void. I had decided immediately after my diagnosis to pray the Stations of the Cross. I thought that if I was going to be put on androgen deprivation therapy, I would need to learn to embrace that weakness to the fullness of what that would mean. There was a hitch. I had become mentally weak before I could begin praying. And I found that I could not take control of my life or my outlook. The most poignant memory here pertains to my daughter's soccer game. She was busy kicking butt and taking names on the field, and my wife was sitting with our infant son on the sideline. My second child wanted to play and chase and kick with me on the side of the field. I mustered the will to do so. I'm still struck by the fact that I enjoyed none of it. Not a single bit. All I could think about was how quickly that moment would pass and the next one after it, and how soon I should fail to be there for my family. In my anguish, I ended up praying with a priest who was also a very close friend, Father Bart. Father Bart came and took my confession, and he revealed to me that he had brought with him the relics of a well-beloved former priest within our diocese, Father Stu Long, soon to be of Mark Wahlberg fame. He told me that if we prayed with Father Stu, he would take his intercession for me seriously, but I didn't take that as a threat. You see, Father Stu, a former prize-fighting boxer, had himself come down with a disease of weakness earlier in his life, frankly one far harder and worse than my own, a worse form of Lou Gehrig's disease, essentially. He succumbed to that in 2014. So you might see a certain providential design of such a saint coming to me who had been deprived of strength by disease, because I most certainly did. So we prayed with his relics, because sometimes Catholics are really quite strange. <laughs> the fact that we had a good laugh about. The denouement of this ordeal came on a Sunday evening. I laid down exhausted from weak sleeplessness, and my daughter came and jumped into my arms, expressing her love in the form of a snuggle. Pretty soon, whole family was on the bed, and we thankfully dozed together. In a dream-like state, and with a voice that was not audible but was real nonetheless, the following came to me. Eric. Can you give this all up for me? Eric. Are you willing? Talking about my family. My beautiful wife. My three 
hilarious and energetic children. My big dog, Hachi Boy. My little cat, Sammy. The beautiful property in Montana in which we are very blessed to live with one another, sharing our lives. My mom, my brother in Seattle. Whole cadre of friends who have somehow learned to deal with and put up with this grumpy man in front of you. My only answer, which was not fully my own, simply yes. After which I awoke and ate a huge steak. I'd come to peace. Reflecting on Father Stu and his intercession for me, and on the week leading up to what I will call my participatory fiat, seemed to me that God had granted me a very difficult grace. I'd been granted something of a mystical union with Christ, but not one of the celebration at the wedding of Canaan. Nor one of the glories of the resurrection, no. I was granted a union with the terror and humility and weakness of that Garden of Gethsemane. The place in which Christ's fully human will becomes a yes to the divine will, becoming that new Adam through whom we are saved. So did I, and may we, find ourselves in Christ's weakness which does not take upon itself the tenor of the creeper, but of the reject. Throughout my treatment, I engaged in several important activities. I continued to pray the Stations of the Cross, and I took up praying the Rosary, sort of a spiritual weightlifting, if you will. But I also continued to actually lift during all my treatments, and I engaged in the joyful, all be it a little bit dangerous sport, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's a blast. But my midlife crisis did not come to an end until I opened a small strength and conditioning uh, gym in attached to the uh, attached to the Jiu-Jitsu joint at which I train, called obviously Dad Bod Strength and Conditioning. <laughs> I train teens who want to get better at their sports, go hit higher jumps or get people on the mats. But I also train middle-aged men and women mostly who simply want to be able to get off the toilet in 20 years. Still, the real goal of Dad Bod is to pursue somehow in ways that I cannot yet discern the gift of weakness that Christ offered to me that day. Yes, the real goal of dad bod strength reveals itself in a proper understanding of weakness for all who happen through my doors, which is not bound up with the maxim eat or be eaten, but rather with the commandment to take and eat. This is my body. Thus is my strength and vigor return and I become tempted to ignore the gift of weakness offered to me, absconding back into my usual ways, Gethsemane continues to call me elsewhere. 
It beckons me to offer to myse myself to others in humility, to give up control of my world, and to share these gifts to all who come through Dad Bod's doors. Thank you. <laughs>